Welcome to the Community Colleges Australia podcast. I'm Ryan Pemberton. This is episode seven in our eight-part series on board governance and executive leadership. In this episode, I'm joined by Luther Poya, Managing Director and Head of Venture Capital at Blue Chili Technology, a technology accelerator and incubator. Luther will explain why reviewing the performance of your CEO is crucial to the success of your organization. He'll also provide some great advice on how to ensure that the performance management process is positive, constructive, and effective. We'll also hear from Nick Hedges, Director of Resolve HR. He'll guide us through a framework for structuring the performance management process and explain the risks to the organization if performance management isn't handled well. But first, here's Luther Poyer. Uh, My background is about 16 years plus in the Navy, both the Canadian Navy and the Australian Navy. Also been on a number of boards, both uh, for-profit, not-for-profit, Artolution, which is a global community arts education organization, as well as a local um, North Shore private school, um, Christian private school, where I was a director for a number of years and then took over as chairman. Luther's board experience, his work coaching CEOs, as well as his Navy background, make him the perfect person to talk about best practice performance management for CEOs. In fact, one of the first things he does is uh, reframe the term performance management. That tends to have a a negative connotation. Uh, If the CEO isn't coached, isn't developed, which is what performance management really should be, it should be performance assistance, uh, performance coaching, um, then the organization suffers as a whole. Why is it that the CEO, the person arguably with the most responsibility in an organization, is often most lacking in feedback on their performance? Sure. And that's a great question because it's something that we um, see the outcomes in the press almost on a weekly basis. And, and, uh, and I think it has something to do, from my observation, with the kind of cult of the CEO almost as a superhero. I certainly see that in the startup world and a real spectrum of organizational development. You know, startups are in their early stages. Regular companies are in, obviously, they're kind of middle stages. I've worked in investment banks, which are large, mature companies. And and certainly in the military, where your commanding officer is effectively your CEO. Certainly in a ship, um, where it's you know, 250, 300 people, and you have a, a mission ahead of you. So in the startup world, what I've noticed, um, and I think that carries through to certainly big companies, is that CEOs are really seen as the pinnacle of their career at their career. You know, often in big companies, those CEOs are in their late 40s, probably 50s, maybe even pushing into their 60s. And what you find is that by the time CEOs end up at that stage, they have such a command of their environment, command of themselves, it's very easy to think that they probably don't have much development left. And I think boards also have something to do with that and that uh, boards often, I think, don't take up the mantle of working and developing a CEO. And then I'd also say that probably the press has something to do that with that. We, we read in Boss Magazine or in, um, you know, kind of annual reports on who the best CEOs are and CEOs are painted in, you know, glowing, almost superhero ways. And... There's also that cult of personality in the startup world, the Elon Musks and the rest, where you know the CEO is is kind of godlike. So we very much have this 
cult of the personality that I think has grown up around CEOs, and it suffuses probably the the relationships at every every level. What would you say an effective performance assistance or coaching process looks like? I suppose it's we have a an annual cycle in most businesses, and because we put. KPIs in place, usually for the executives and the CEO, whether they're strategic KPIs, financial KPIs, people management and compliance KPIs. Those are usually reported on on a quarterly or annual basis. And so that quarterly basis, at least, there should be an avenue of performance discussion with the CEO during that time. But certainly as a, as a chair, I think that that performance discussion should be something that's kind of ongoing. Right. If we think of performance management as more performance assistance, then the, the chairman and the other directors should always be noting the nuances of how the CEO is working with his team, how the CEO is managing change in the organization, or how he's react he or she is reacting to you know, competition or issues with stakeholders, you know, parents in the, in the case of a school sometimes. So those are things we should always be monitoring. But in terms of bringing that to a performance review level, I actually think that it's worth a quarterly discussion with a CEO or a principal of a, of a school, if it is, and then making sure that that cascades into an, a more formal annual review where there's a real understanding of of trust that you built up over the time and that you're trying to uh, both build up, not tear down. So it's very, Ryan, it has to be very organic and it has to be much broader than just that yearly chat, um, which sometimes is way too quick and perfunctory between the chairman and the CEO to say, well, how did you think you went this year? And then here's your letter with your you know, new, uh, new pay increase and a pat on the back. What would you recommend a board do if a CEO is resistant to this performance review process? Mm. It's, uh, it's always a question of culture, isn't it, Ryan? The culture starts at the very first day the CEO kind of rocks up to the organization, the first board meeting, and sometimes you have to play the cards you're dealt with. And so this is where the relationship, I think, between the CEO and the chairman are probably the most important. If there's resistance to performance management, then that's something that might take a while and you might have to take some baby steps. You know, my grandmother used to say, start it how you want to finish it. And I think there is absolutely an opportunity for most organizations when they do change CEOs to make sure from the very start that there is the the right performance assistance coaching free and frank discussion and debate going on with the CEO. So the CEO never feels like he's attacked. But if you are at that spot, I think there are lots of ways that you can mitigate that. Putting in place interim measures so you move along a path. I know that a lot of organizations, and I certainly have done this myself in the past, have brought in external consultants (laughs) to help with that. I, I think they're can be issues with that. Often there's a, a lack of trust. And the overriding factor in each case should be out of this activity, is this building or taking away from the trust that the CEO has in both the organization, in the board, in the chairman, and in themselves? 
if he or she is feeling embattled, then they're not going to be at the top of their game or making their best decisions. But in the end, Ryan, there is always the case if you're starting to move down that path and you get extreme resistance that you may have a cultural issue and you may actually be seeing that the the CEO is the wrong fit for the organization, wrong fit for the culture, the agenda that the board wants to set, or even where the business has gone. And putting in place performance assistance and management and starting that discussion will sometimes show up the cracks. What would you say are some of the risks that an organization might face if they don't review the performance of their CEO or don't review it successfully? Sure. The CEO is really the one who sets the direction in a lot of ways of both the culture, um, the performance, and the success of an organization. Um, You've probably heard the phrase, the fish rots from the head, but I think it's true. And so if the CEO's performance isn't being reviewed, and all of us, if we don't keep our eyes on that plan and that strategy, the goals, the objectives, the if you want the key performance indicators, and those are reviewed every once in a while, it's very easy to get off track. As I think I told you at the start, I spent years in the Navy, and one of the basis of my career was that I was a navigator. And navigators have a particularly central role, certainly in Commonwealth warships, both in Canada and Britain, in in Australia. And the direction of the ship, are you on track or off track, especially in dangerous waters, is really important. And we take positional fixes every six minutes. If you don't take those fixes or you're not continually monitoring, it's very easy for the elements, current, wind, even just a bad rudder or a bad screw to slowly take you off course. And in treacherous waters, which is where I think most businesses are most of the time, it's a competitive world out there, they're always going to be dangers and rocks. And sometimes you don't see you're in danger until the momentum has started, especially with a big ship. And organizations are like big ships. Once the momentum has started down one path, it's very hard to bring it back on track. And so if an organization does not monitor and engage the CEO, directors who show up once a quarter, maybe for board meetings, may not see that movement, may not see that the momentum of the organization has gone off track. And it's hard to bring an organization back. If you have an organization that has suddenly shown itself to not be in tune with its environment, its competition, not be in tune with its stakeholders, especially in a school setting, educational setting, where you have stakeholders that are both paying you and not paying you, you know, the direction of an educational organization and how it fits into the community is really important. If that has suddenly gone astray, it's hard to bring it back. And that can ruin the reputation of an educational institution. That can mean that next year you won't get as many students enrolling. That can mean that your staff start to leave. Um, so there's there's so many knock-on effects and a board needs to be, and a CEO, need to be very vigilant to that. You mentioned that a big factor in successfully assisting and managing the CEO's performance is building trust between the chair, the board, and the CEO. What can the board do to build up that trust? So my experience certainly with at a board level is that it's very difficult sometimes for directors who are, as I think I said, showing up once a quarter, even maybe even once a month to 
receive reports from the CEO and maybe some of the senior people and really understand what the what the tenor of the organization is. And so it's really incumbent, I think, upon directors and not just the chairman to get out and about. Um, I know I'll sound like a Canadian there with my about. Um, that probably means showing up for prize days, um, being there for activities. You know, if you're a K to 12 school or even a, um, a tertiary institution, being there to talk to uh, parents during those times, talking with professors and teachers, kind of showing up at things. And this is where I think a lot of directors, and I will put myself in that camp when I first started out being a director, that we show up for the the board meetings or the committee meetings, and we think that is the sum total of our of what we're doing. We really are sitting there switched to receive and maybe a little bit of send every once in a while just to show that we we're a real director. And when it does come time to assess the CEO, give them performance assistance or management, the CEO and the rest of the leadership team will know that that person, those directors, that chairman have been involved in the day-to-day life of the organization. And that that's what builds trust. That's what builds a base level, a foundation level of understanding. So I think it's really important if you are going to go down that path, which every I think every organization should, that directors are involved in the life of the organization, not just showing up for the quarterly meetings. Um, there, everyone has to keep aware that they can't stray across that imaginary line from strategic directorship level to day-to-day management, operational decision-making. It's really important, but most directors should have that maturity by then. That was Luther Poya. I'm also joined by Nick Hedges, director of Resolve HR, to talk us through a framework for the performance management process. For me, I often talk about a nine-step performance management process. And if you're driving, please don't pull over and uh, start taking notes. Step one, identify the issue. And it seems obvious, but you don't want to walk in unprepared and just sort of saying, we've got some issues and then start to work out what they are. So you really want to have the issues identified that you need to performance manage. Two, meet with the person and address their concerns. Whether that be informally or formally. Informally, I mean, you're sending them a letter and you're putting all things down on a piece of paper and giving that whole structure around that conversation. Or if it's an informal chat where we've got some issues and there's some specific issues I want to have a chat to you about. Three, get a response from the person. As part of the process, you certainly want to gain a response from the person. So get their reaction. What are they thinking? This is a two-way process. At the end of the day, we're talking about their job. So you want to get interaction from them. Four, identify how to rectify the problem. That might not come from you as the person who's managing the process. It might also come from the person who is being managed. So together you'll come up with a plan. Five, set some desired outcomes and timeframes. So put some necessary support in place to help that person achieve the outcomes. Does it mean you need to increase your frequency of meetings? If you're meeting once every two weeks as a management meeting, do you need to now start meeting once a week or even more than once a week? So putting those sort of timeframes, setting those goals, those outcomes. Six, follow up on actions. All too often, we put these plans in place, let the person run, and then we've come back to them in a month or two, and now we've got to give them more feedback. They're like, well, I had no idea how I was tracking. So following up on the process is really, really important. Seven, allow time to rectify. 
So how long has this issue been going on? Is this something that has now just happened and we have to address it immediately? Or is this something that's been we've been waiting to address and they've been doing this for the last two years? Why now all of a sudden is this a problem? So allowing that person that time to rectify their mistakes or their behavior or their performance standard is really, really important. Eight, take time to assess the actions that have been taken and take further action if required. Do we need to set additional timeframes? Have we given them enough time? Have we seen small amounts of improvement, but we haven't got the 100% that we were looking for? So we've got 80%. So for that final 20%, we now need to set additional timeframes, set additional goals. And nine, make any further determinations. So if they haven't reached our standard or what is expected, then do we go down that more formal performance road of um, warnings or disciplinary action or those sorts of punitive type of actions? So I think that sort of nine-step process could go to any level, whether it be the CEO or somebody who's a graduate um, first job out of university or some sort of tertiary education or something like that. What happens if performance management is not handled well? I think there's several, several things that could happen. One obvious thing is it can obviously have a negative effect on the person that is being performance managed. And what do we mean by some negative effects? It can obviously affect their productivity. It can affect the efficiency, the output from which that they're operating. You've had a difficult conversation with them. You've called them on something that's quite personal to them, which is about their, their work. So naturally, it could have a negative effect on their ability to manage themselves. At a wider level, it could lead to poor morale, teamwork, engagement, the work culture, poor communication between, say, the board and the CEO or the CEO and the, and the direct report or members of their team. If ultimately the performance management process leads into a termination and that's not handled well, we may end up with poor reputation and reputational issues. And I think that's often one really to consider that when you're undertaking a process like this, it's really important to ensure that you've handled that process correctly because you don't want to have those reputational issues where somebody's walking away going, well, who'd want to work in a place like this? If that's the way they treat people, who'd want to work in a place like this? That's, I guess, sort of the internal things to consider. From an external perspective, you've got issues around uh, the legal framework. So you've got legal claims, breaches of contract, unfair dismissal claims, things like adverse action claims, discrimination claims, those sorts of things. So if performance management is not handled well, ultimately leads to termination or even within the process itself, We can have legal claims and all of those sort of other factors that really might affect the organization. You've been listening to season three of the Community Colleges Australia Governance and Leadership podcast series produced by Audiocraft with funding support from the New South Wales government. In the next episode, how do you best support staff's mental health? The behaviors of a person who may be struggling with their mental health will turn up as performance issues. And most of the time, uh, managers are not distinguishing between one and the other. That's in the next episode of the CCA Governance Podcast Series. You can find all our episodes at cca.edu.au.